We are reading in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, found in the New Testament, the Church Bible, page 1159. Page 1159, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, and we want to read from verse 7. Paul is writing here about the ministry that he, as an apostle, uh, and that those associated with him, uh, exercise uh, and um, uh, he is um, doing so against a particular backdrop where this ministry of his and of theirs is being undermined and opposed uh, by uh, those who are uh, so-called super apostles uh, but they're actually false apostles and uh, Paul writes now in verse 7, about the ministry um, of, um, uh, about his ministry and the ministry of the church in the apostolic age. Now, if the ministry that brought death, that's the Old Testament ministry, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses, because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory, now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And then if you turn through to chapter 5. Uh, we take up our reading uh, at verse uh, 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, 
And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Amen. There is a great variation today within the professing Church of Christ as to what her ministry ought to consist of and how that ministry ought to be carried out. There are 30, perhaps 40 plus churches in our town tonight. And that in itself is a sad testimony to the fact that there is much variety within the church. And if tonight we were to take a tour of the churches this evening, we would find churches that define their ministry in various ways. Some define their ministry in terms of worship. Our ministry is to worship and to bring people into um, a deep, uh, personal, heartfelt, emotional worship of God. We would find other churches that define their ministry in terms of the Holy Spirit. And they would say to us, come into our church to witness miracles of the Spirit. Healings, 
speaking in tongues or a word of prophecy that will enable you to know the will of God um, truly for your life in the week which lies ahead. And we would find churches in our town tonight who would say that our ministry is the ministry of the word. We preach the old time gospel. And tonight I want us to think together about the church's ministry. Uh, and it's based on what Paul writes in Second Corinthians uh, to the church. In Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. And this verse has been before us in various situations over the past month or so. But Paul writes... Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Since we have this ministry. And I want us tonight to think about having this ministry. That's the subject, that's the theme of this sermon. And we want to ask, what is this ministry? What does Paul have in mind? What does Paul understand his ministry and the ministry of the apostolic church to be? What are its features? And in the contemporary scene tonight, where the people come into Oakfield... Or they go to a church in the centre of town, uh, or wherever tonight, a church that's small, or a church that is large, what ought to be the common ministry? Because regardless of those things that make church dis churches distinctive and separate, there ought to be a ministry, this ministry, in which churches are agreed and united. Otherwise, we're not actually apostolic churches. So what is this ministry that we have, and that Paul has, and that our church is to have? And I want us to note four things this evening. First of all, it's a ministry of prayer and the word. A ministry of prayer and the word. The phrase this ministry, as Paul uses it, is a technical phrase. By that I mean it has precise meaning and it has definite content. This is not an elastic phrase that can be stretched to mean whatever individuals or churches or groups want to make it mean. When I say it's a technical phrase, it's a bit like some of those phrases that we come across in daily life. Listen to the news and you hear the phrase in connection with Northern Ireland, we are building for a shared future. 
That has very definite, precise, specific meaning. It envisages Unionist and Nationalist, Protestant and Catholic living side by side in peace with each other, respecting each other's distinctives and differences, a shared future. Or if you have children at school and you go to the parent interviews, and this will be my third week of parental interviews. My wife leaves it all to me. Um, But anyway, we hear the phrase, the new curriculum. The new curriculum. Again, it's a technical phrase. And by that, the school means the kind of things that have been set down by the government that must be taught, the standards that have got to be reached, the assessment levels uh, that are carried out. It's the new curriculum. And when Paul uses the phrase, this ministry, he has definite content in mind. It's not a phrase that the church Uh, since then uh, or in that day or in our day can make mean whatever the church wants it to mean. In the New Testament it refers to certain things that are essential that are permanent to the church's work that define, that characterize the church's work. And the apostles actually use this term frequently. For example, Peter uses it first of all in Acts 1. And he's explaining to the church that Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, who has now taken his own life, that his place has got to be filled. And Peter says Judas had a part in this ministry. And again, he's something very precise in mind. And then, after they've appointed the successor of Judas, Peter says, this new man, Matthias, he will take part in this ministry. What is this ministry which Peter and Paul speak of and about which Paul will not lose heart no matter what happens to him no matter how much opposition he endures no matter how many problems arise in congregations that, uh, that he plants and that he pastors well this phrase this ministry is given its content in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4 And again, it's Peter who is speaking. And there's now a need to care for the widows and those um, uh, who are in need in the church. And the apostles have been getting drawn into that to the point that they're not able to do this ministry that Christ gave them. This ministry um, from which Judas fell and to which Matthias was appointed. And Paul, or sorry, Peter defines this ministry in these words. But we will give ourselves steadfastly to prayer and the ministry of the word. That is, in a nutshell, the ministry of the church. 
That is how the church is to build up believers. Through the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. That is how the church is to reach communities. It is through the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. And the church today, whatever denomination she is, whatever other differences or distinctives that she has, if she is the church, and if if she is to be entitled to have the name church, she must be marked by this ministry of prayer and the word. This is to be our distinctive. And this is to be the distinctive of every church. Not a worship band, not miracles, not speaking in tongues, not even psalm singing, not sharing uh, uh, insights and experiences with each other. No, our distinctive is to be prayer and the ministry, the ministry of prayer and the word. And if we make prayer and the word our ministry, yes, we will have disappointments. We will experience setbacks. We will know hardship. Peter did. Paul did. All the apostles did. But we will never lose heart. We'll never lose heart. Because this is the ministry our Saviour had. This is the ministry his apostles had. And this is the ministry God wants you to have. And this is the ministry that I have been called to exercise among you. And my fellow elders with me. We are to be like the apostles, men who give ourselves to prayer for you and the ministry of the word among you. But then in return, you are to give yourselves also to this ministry, the ministry of prayer, and join with us in the ministry of prayer. And then with us as we minister the word. We do not need to lose heart in our work. Why not? Not because we must be optimistic and look on the bright side of things. Not because of anything in me or in my fellow elders. But because we have this ministry at the heart of our church that consists of prayer and the word. And that's what Christ wants us to have. That's what Christ has promised to bless. And that's what Christ wants us as elders and members to give ourselves to wholeheartedly and with confidence. This ministry, a ministry of prayer and the word, 
But then secondly, a ministry that focuses on Christ. And Paul uses this phrase, it's very interesting. He uses this phrase, the ministry, this ministry, again and again in the letter to the Corinthians. And so you'll see how uh, I am drawing into other parts of the letter when I bring out these other aspects of this ministry. A ministry that focuses on Christ. Some people might say to us tonight, what is special about prayer and the word that they alone constitute this ministry why does Paul exercising this ministry not lose heart what secret lies behind prayer and the word and the answer is Christ the answer is Christ What is prayer? We'll do no better than the definition in the Shorter Catechism, question 98, where it says simply and clearly, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Four parts to prayer there. Offering up our desires to God. Confessing our sins. Thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Sorry, that's three things. But notice what holds them all together. In the name of Christ. In the name of Christ. So at the heart of prayer is Christ. Prayer focuses us on Christ. It brings us to him. And it brings us to seek his will. And his power. And his glory. And his kingdom. And when the church engages in the ministry of prayer. And when she keeps that at the centre of her life. Then she has Christ at the centre. She is Christ at her centre. And that is why every family, and if possible, every believer, should be at the prayer meeting. And it's one of the things that visiting preachers have commented on with regard to our congregation. The number of people at the prayer meeting as a proportion of our membership. And how <clears throat> the two reflect each other. Not a small number at the prayer meeting, large number at church services. But families, every family represented, if not um, largely present. And if we are not committed to the ministry of prayer in our church, do you know what we're saying? And I believe we'd be saying it obviously without realizing it, but this is what we'd be saying. Our church can function without Christ. Our church 
can function without Christ. That's what the person says who does not attend the ministry of prayer in their local congregation. The worship services, they can run and they can be effective without Christ. The evangelism of the church, it will produce results without looking to Christ. The Sabbath school will reach the young people without Christ. That's a very, very serious thing for any Christian to say. Indeed, it's a blasphemous thing for any Christian to say. Sometimes you will hear a Christian saying, I get nothing out of the church services. And sometimes uh, we often say, um, as churches, we're seeing few, if any, people being saved through our outreach. And could it be that both of those maladies of the church, the fact that people can come into worship and go out and their lives and hearts and minds not be touched and changed through it, or the fact that we can engage in witness and not see people saved, could it be that both of those things are because we've not been focused enough on Christ through the ministry of prayer. And if we were, we would be changed more and more people would be saved and added to the church. The ministry of prayer focuses on Christ. And then what secret lies at the heart of the ministry of the word? Well, again, it is Christ. Because the Bible is the word of Christ. Christ is its great subject, its great theme. This word has come from him. This word is about him. This word reveals him to us in his being and in his character and in his glorious work of saving sinners by his death and resurrection. And so in our church, the preaching, whether it is from the Old Testament or the New Testament, it needs to have its focus on Christ. One of the alarming things I believe that is happening in some branches of the church today is that there's a lot of focus on people's needs and people's problems and the issues that people are grappling with. And the focus is moving of Christ. And yes, people should feel ministered to in their needs, but that will only happen, that will only happen as we keep our focus on Christ. Because it is Christ that binds up the wounds. It's Christ that heals the broken hearted. And all those other needs, felt needs, 
that we have. So a ministry, this ministry, is a ministry of prayer, the word. It's a ministry that focuses on Christ. But then thirdly, it's a ministry that relies on the Spirit. A ministry that relies on the Spirit. And here, our key text is 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 8. In the church at Corinth, there are those who see the things that man can contribute as critical to the church's ministry. Their focus is off Christ and it's on man. The super apostles, and Paul uses that term to describe these folk that have infiltrated the Corinthian church on a mission to destroy him and his ministry. He describes them as super apostles in chapter 11 and verse 5. And here's what they say. You know something? We have powers and we have experiences that are far greater than the Apostle Paul. That's why Paul taunts them with this name, Super Apostles. And they're saying, the powers that we have, the experiences we enjoy, they actually qualify us to exercise ministry. Not Paul. They would say we're more charismatic than Paul. Paul's a bit dull, a bit dreary, a bit dour, as they would say in Scotland. We're better orators. Indeed, I think there's some suggestion also they say we're more attractive to look at. Better with people. We're more considerate. We're actually more relevant and up-to-date in how to do ministry. And we don't have any of those setbacks that this man Paul has in his ministry. And they're saying to the church at Corinth, if we were in charge, church would be a more enjoyable experience. More attractive a place to the world. Be a more loving community. Less hung up in doctrine. Less stricken morals. Less off-putting to the non-Christian. We'd be less severe on the brother that falls into immorality. We'd be more sophisticated in our presentation. More appealing. More contemporary in our society. They're saying we are the people who can make the church a success. See, it's focused on man. And it relies on man. And the things that man can contribute. The sad feature of the church's ministry in the 21st century is that it relies on people to impact people. It sees man as the determining factor in the church's effectiveness and so the focus falls 
on the band, on the music. Or the focus falls on the members. They trendy with it. The preacher is he engaging. The building, when I go into it, do I have a sense of worship that the building creates in me? The use of technology and whether it is used to creative effect. And what's Paul's answer to those in Corinth who emphasize the human factor? And to those in the church today who emphasize the human factor, the human agent, who teach, get that right and everything else will fall into place. Well, his answer is uh, in chapter 5 and verse 7, where he says, the treasure, the gospel, is in jars of clay. That's what the preacher is. That's what the elders are. That's what you as members are. Your jars of clay. You are frail and crumbling and weak and flawed and powerless. And you're likely to break and to crumble into smithereens at any moment. And Paul says, that's what will happen to super apostles. You get the slickest guy in town, the best qualified the most able, and is a jar of clay. Always a jar of clay. Only a jar of clay. And why is that? So that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see this ministry that Paul exercises? It doesn't depend upon the clay jar, Paul. It's not built on him. Its power comes. Its all-surpassing power is from God. It's from God. And that's why Paul talks in chapter 3 and verse 8 about this ministry being even more glorious. Because it is, he says in uh, verse 8, it's the ministry of the Spirit. It's more glorious. More glorious than anything that a man can offer or do or provide. Paul's ministry, this ministry, Rests not on the gifts of man, the personality of the preacher, his knowledge or power. No, it rests on the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of the Spirit. And so it's surpassing, all surpassing, and it's glorious. The Holy Spirit alone makes dead sinners live. The Holy Spirit alone draws people to Christ. 
The Holy Spirit alone creates faith and repentance in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. The Holy Spirit alone empowers Christians to die to sin, you and me, and to live to righteousness. The ministry of the Spirit, not the ministry of man, is glorious and powerful. It's life transforming. And in the church in the 21st century, we need to topple puny man from the pedestal that he's put himself on in the church. And we need to give the Holy Spirit his appointed role. This ministry then is a ministry of prayer and the word. Ministry that focuses on Christ. Ministry that doesn't rely on man or men, but relies on the Holy Spirit. And finally, it's a ministry that emphasizes reconciliation. It emphasizes reconciliation. And here are the key verses, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. We all know what it is to live in a broken world. We live with the consequences of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Every single human life, except that of Jesus, is in a sinful and miserable condition. That's the sad reality. And we see and we feel the tragic consequences of that all around us. We see it in society, in the uh, evils that um, are there in society. We see it in family, the breakdown that there is there. We see it in personal life. The issues and problems that are impacting people day by day. Now, is there an answer to these problems and issues? Well, parliaments may legislate and the courts may convict and sentence and impose penalties and schools may educate and in families' disputes, social workers may mediate and in medicine, doctors may seek to alleviate the effects of, of sin in that uh, all of us take ill. And science may innovate. But none of those will generate the solution. None of those initiatives tackle the root problem. The church, the church is essential to the recovery of of the well-being of individuals and families and society. Absolutely essential. And if the church is not brought into the heart uh, and is not seen to be the solution, there will not be a solution. And our society and our family life and individual lives 
will become more and more messed up. And that's why Paul here talks about this ministry. And you see the church, why is the church essential to the recovery of the well-being of the individual, the family and society? Because the church has this ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 5 and verse 18. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. That's what our ministry is in this community. It's a ministry of reconciliation. Now that ministry of reconciliation is very different from the reconciliation that our government promotes. It basically says, come on folks, screw up. And let's act like adults. And let's respect one another. And let's live together. The gloss is over. The alienation that underlies. And so we have a ministry of reconciliation. And at the heart of it, what do we say? The heart of it we say to people. The basic problem, the fundamental problem, the core problem in humanity is separation from God through sin. And we need reconciliation with God. God who is holy and God who is angry. And God, because of sin, and God who punishes sin. We need reconciliation. And that reconciliation comes in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. And whatever other problems people come to us with, Whatever other need we see people as having in their lives. And we can and we should seek to help them with those other problems and those other needs. But never to the neglect of the central common shared need. The basic need. The underlying need. The need to be reconciled with God. Through Jesus Christ. The need for the forgiveness of sins. The need to repent. Of their sin. The need to trust. In Christ. And this is our ministry. And we've got to realise. And we've got to remember. This is our core. Ministry. And as we see people. Whose lives are messed up. With all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems. We mustn't be like the doctor, the teacher, the legislator, the policeman or the counsellor. Because what does the doctor do at best? Well he patches life together for as long as he can. And what does the educator do? Well he gives people skills and knowledge to better themselves in life. And what does a counsellor do? Well, they say, I'll help you to work through your problems. 
But what are we to do? We're to bring a message of reconciliation. We're to have a ministry that emphasizes reconciliation, salvation. That's why Paul here in this passage talks about us being ambassadors. We're ambassadors. And an ambassador goes from a government, goes from a king, and he's given a message. And the message is defined, and it's clear, and it's set down, and the ambassador doesn't touch it, he doesn't alter it, he just presents it. And that's our role. With a ministry of reconciliation that means we're ambassadors. We're coming from Christ the King to people and we're bringing to them this ministry. And we come the ministry of prayer and the word. We come with a ministry that focuses on Christ. We come to them with a ministry that relies on the Spirit to work. And we come to them with a ministry which says, we understand and we can identify with some of the things that you're experiencing in your life. But we want to tell you something more fundamental and more important. You need to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And as we have this ministry of prayer and the word that focuses on Christ, that relies on the Spirit, that emphasizes reconciliation to God, what will we see? Well, we'll see 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 coming to pass before our eyes. We'll see men and women and boys and girls becoming a new creation. A new creation in Christ Jesus. And it's not that the problems and the issues that they have will suddenly vanish. But now they have a new perspective. And a new ability and power. In that Christ is the one. Who will little by little. And day by day. And year by year. Ensure that the old things pass away. The alcoholism, the addictions, the abuse, the bad temper, all those things and many more. And that all things are becoming new. This is why we don't need to lose heart. Because we have this ministry that Christ has blessed down through the generations and will continue to bless until he comes again in his glory. Amen. That's for our heads. Let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we bless you this evening for your grace and your mercy and truth that have come to us in Jesus Christ, your Son, that through him we are reconciled to you.
and that in him we have grace and strength to deal with every other issue in our lives, every other problem that arises, every other difficulty that we encounter, every sin that remains within us. We thank you tonight for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord God, that we are of confidence in him and in the ministry that he's given to his church. And that we would know that through it, through this ministry of the word and prayer that focuses on him, that relies on the Holy Spirit, that emphasizes reconciliation with God as foundational and essential. That as we receive this ministry and as we exercise this ministry, we ourselves and others will be a new creation in Christ Jesus with all things passing away and all things being made new. In Jesus' name. Amen.